0: Section 18 of The Life of Richard Nash, Esquire. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Paul Stevens. The Life of Richard Nash, Esquire, Late Master of Ceremonies at Bath, by Oliver Goldsmith. Edited by Peter Cunningham. At Tunbridge in the year seventeen fifteen. Mr. J. Hedges made a very brilliant appearance. He had been married about two years, to a young lady of great beauty and large fortune. They had one child, a boy, on whom they bestowed all that affection which they could spare from each other. He knew nothing of gaming, nor seemed to have the least passion for play. But he was unacquainted with his own heart. He began by degrees to bet at the tables for trifling sums." AND HIS SOUL TOOK FIRE AT THE PROSPECT OF IMMEDIATE GAIN. HE WAS SOON SURROUNDED WITH SHARPERS, WHO WITH CALMNESS LAY IN AMBUSH FOR HIS FORTUNE, AND COOLLY TOOK ADVANTAGE OF THE PRECIPITANCY OF HIS PASSIONS. HIS LADY PERCEIVED THE RUIN OF HER FAMILY APPROACHING, BUT AT FIRST WITHOUT BEING ABLE TO FORM ANY SCHEME TO PREVENT IT. SHE ADVISED WITH HIS BROTHER, WHO AT THAT TIME WAS POSSESSED OF A SMALL FELLOWSHIP IN CAMBRIDGE. It was easily seen that whatever took the lead in her husband's mind seemed to be there fixed unalterably. It was determined, therefore, to let him pursue fortune, but previously take measures to prevent the pursuit being fatal. Accordingly, every night this gentleman was a constant attender at the hazard tables. He understood neither the arts of sharpers nor even the allowed strokes of a connoisseur, yet still he played. The consequence is obvious. He lost his estate, his equipage, his wife's jewels, and every other movable that could be parted with, except a repeating watch. His agony upon this occasion was inexpressible. He was even mean enough to ask a gentleman who sat near to lend him a few pieces in order to turn his fortune. But this prudent gamester, who plainly saw there were no expectations of being repaid, refused to lend a farthing alleging a former resolution against lending. Hedges was at last furious with his continuance of ill-success, and, pulling out his watch, asked if any person in company would set him sixty guineas upon it. The company were silent. He then demanded fifty. Still no answer. He sunk to forty, thirty, twenty. Finding the company still without answering, he cried out, "'By God, it shall never go for less!' and dashed it against the floor, at the same time attempting to dash out his brains against the marble chimney-piece. This last act of desperation immediately excited the attention of the whole company. They instantly gathered round, and prevented the effects of his passion, and after he again became cool, he was permitted to return home, with sullen discontent, to his wife. Upon his entering her apartment, she received him with her usual tenderness and satisfaction while he answered her caresses with contempt and severity, his disposition being quite altered with his misfortunes. "'But, my dear Jemmy,' says his wife, "'perhaps you don't know the news I have to tell. "'My mamma's old uncle is dead. "'The messenger is now in the house, "'and you know his estate is settled upon you.' This account seemed only to increase his agony, and looking angrily at her, he cried, "'There you lie, my dear. "'His estate is not settled upon me.' "'I beg your pardon,' says she, "'I really thought it was. At least you have always told me so.' "'No,' returned he, "'as sure as you and I are to be miserable here, and our children beggars hereafter, I have sold the reversion of it this day, and have lost every farthing I got for it at the hazard-table.' "'What, all?' replied the lady. "'Yes, every farthing,' returned he, "'and I owe a thousand pounds more than I have to pay.' Thus speaking, he took a few frantic steps across the room, when the lady had a little enjoyed his perplexity. "'No, my dear,' cried she, "'you have lost but a trifle, and you owe nothing. Our brother and I have taken care to prevent the effects of your rashness, and are actually the persons who have won your fortune. We employed proper persons for this purpose, who brought their winnings to me.' your money your equipage are in my possession and here i return them to you from whom they were unjustly taken i only ask permission to keep my jewels and to keep you my greatest jewel from such dangers for the future her prudence had the proper effect he ever after retained a sense of his former follies and never played for the smallest sums even for amusement not less than three persons in one day fell a sacrifice at bath to this destructive passion two gentlemen fought a duel in which one was killed and the other desperately wounded and a youth of great expectation and excellent disposition at the same time ended his own life by a pistol if there be any state that deserves pity it must be that of a gamester but the state of a dying gamester is of all situations the most deplorable there is another argument which your lordship i fancy will not entirely despise beauty my lord i own is at best but a trifle but such as it is i fancy few would willingly part with what little they have a man with a healthy complexion how great a philosopher soever he be would not willingly exchange it for a sallow hectic fizz pale eyes and a sharp wrinkled visage I entreat you only to examine the faces of all the noted gamblers round one of our public tables. Have you ever seen anything more haggard, pinched, and miserable? And it is but natural that it should be so. The succession of passions flush the cheek with red, and all such flushings are ever succeeded by a consequent paleness, so that a gamester contracts the sickly hue of a student while he is only acquiring the stupidity of a fool. Your good sense, my lord, I have often had an occasion of knowing. Yet how miserable is it to be in a set of company where the most sensible is ever the least skilful! Your footman, with a little instruction, would, I dare venture to affirm, make a better and more successful gamester than you. Want of passions and low cunning are the two great arts, and it is peculiar to this science alone that they who have the greatest passion for it are of all others the most unfit to practice it. Of all the men I ever knew, Spedding was the greatest blockhead, and yet the best gamester. He saw almost intuitively the advantage on either side, and ever took it. He could calculate the odds in a moment, and decide upon the merits of a cock or a horse better than any man in England. In short, he was such an adept in gaming, that he brought it up to a pitch of sublimity it had never attained before. Yet, with all this, Spedding could not write his own name. What he died worth I cannot tell, but of this I am certain he might have possessed a ministerial estate, and that one from men famed for their sense, literature, and patriotism. If, after this description, your lordship is yet resolved to hazard your fortune at gaming, I beg you would advert to the situation of an old and luckless gamester. Perhaps there is not in nature a more deplorable being. His character is too well marked, he is too well known to be trusted. A man that has been often a bankrupt and renewed trade upon low compositions may as well expect extensive credit as such a man. His reputation is blasted, his constitution worn by the extravagance and ill hours of his profession. He is now incapable of alluring his dupes and like a superannuated savage of the forest, he is starved, for want of vigour to hunt after prey. Thus gaming is the source of poverty, and still worse, the parent of infamy and vice. It is an inlet to debauchery, for the money thus acquired is but little valued. Every gamester is a rake, and his morals worse than his mystery. It is his interest to be exemplary in every scene of debauchery, his prey is to be courted with every guilty pleasure but these are to be changed repeated and embellished in order to employ his imagination while his reason is kept asleep a young mind is apt to shrink at the prospect of ruin care must be taken to harden his courage and make him keep his rank he must be either found a libertine or he must be made one and when a man has parted with his money like a fool He generally sends his conscience after it like a villain, and the nearer he is to the brink of destruction, the fonder does he grow of ruin. Your friend and mine, my lord, had been thus driven to the last reserve, for he found it impossible to disentangle his affairs and look the world in the face. Impatience at length threw him into the abyss he feared, and life became a burthen because he feared to die. But, I own, that play is not always attended with such tragical circumstances. Some have had courage to survive their losses, and go on content with beggary, and sure those misfortunes which are of our own production are of all others most pungent. To see such a poor disbanded being an unwelcome guest at every table, and often flapped off like a fly, is affecting. In this case the closest alliance is forgotten, and contempt is too strong for the ties of blood to unbind. But, however fatal this passion may be in its consequence, none allures so much in the beginning. The person once listed as a gamester, if not soon reclaimed, pursues it through his whole life. No loss can retard, no danger awaken him to common sense. Nothing can terminate his career but want of money to play, or of honour to be trusted. Among the number of my acquaintance I knew but of two who succeeded by gaming. The one a phlegmatic heavy man, who would have made a fortune in whatever way of life he happened to be placed. The other, who had lost a fine estate in his youth by play, and retrieved a greater at the age of sixty-five, when he might be justly said to be past the power of enjoying it. One or two successful gamesters are thus set up in an age to allure the young beginner. We all regard such as the highest prize in a lottery, unmindful of the numerous losses that go to the accumulation of such infrequent success. Yet I would not be so morose as to refuse your youth all kinds of play. The innocent amusements of a family must often be indulged, and cards allowed to supply the intervals of more real pleasure— but the sum played for in such cases should always be a trifle something to call up attention but not engage the passions the usual excuse for laying large sums is to make the players attend to their game but in fact he that plays only for shillings will mind his cards equally well with him that bets guineas for the mind habituated to stake large sums will consider them as trifles at last and if one shilling could not exclude indifference at first "'Neither will an hundred in the end. "'I have often asked myself "'how is it possible "'that he who is possessed of competence "'can ever be induced to make it precarious "'by beginning play with the odds against him? "'For wherever he goes to sport his money "'he will find himself overmatched and cheated. "'Either at White's, Newmarket, the tennis-court, "'the cockpit, or the billiard-table, "'he will find numbers who have no other resource "'but their acquisitions there.' And if such men live like gentlemen, he may readily conclude it must be on the spoils of his fortune or the fortunes of ill judging men like himself. Was he to attend but a moment to their manner of betting at those places, he would readily find the gamester seldom proposing bets but with the advantage in his own favour. A man of honour continues to lay on the side on which he first won; but gamesters shift, change, lie upon the lurch, and take every advantage, either of our ignorance or neglect. In short, my lord, if a man designs to lay out his fortune in quest of pleasure, the gaming-table is, of all other places, that where he can have least for his money. The company are superficial, extravagant, and unentertaining, the conversation flat, debauched, and absurd, the hours unnatural and fatiguing the anxiety of losing is greater than the pleasure of winning friendship must be banished from that society the members of which are intent only on ruining each other every other improvement either in knowledge or virtue can scarce find room in that breast which is possessed by the spirit of play the spirits become vapid the constitution is enfeebled The complexion grows pale till, in the end, the mind, body, friends, fortune, and even the hopes of futurity sink together. Happy if nature terminates the scene, and neither justice nor suicide are called in to accelerate her tardy approach. I am my lord, etc. End of section 18